Welcome to DLN Extend. We choose topics covered by the Destination Linux network that we think need further discussion and extend the conversation here. These shows include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Tux Digital, Zebedee Boss Gaming, and our newest show, Hardware Addicts. I'm Eric, a web technologist and Linux aficionado. And I'm Nate, a Linux, fitness, and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. So Eric, what have you been up to? I spent a lot of time this week testing things. So I tested Manjaro's upcoming 19 release, and I tested the GNOME and KDE versions, made some videos on that, as well as testing KDE Plasma 5.18, which is their LTS release that's upcoming. It's in beta right now. I was using Kubuntu 19.10 to test that. I'd originally started on 20.04, but there's some bugs in there right now that were just making it difficult for me to use on my laptop. So I switched back to 19.10, and I have to say, Plasma 5.18 is looking pretty amazing, shaping up quite well. A lot of quality of life, bug fixes, and refinements. Looks like it's really going to be a solid, well-rounded release that will serve us well for years to come. What would you say is the top feature that sticks out to you about 5.18? There's really a lot to look at. So KDE's mantra, I think, in a lot of ways is they will introduce new features, but a lot of times they're iterating and improving on existing features. So they've done a lot in the settings panel to make that a little easier to navigate the search in there now. The way that it presents the result to you in the panel when you're searching, instead of just showing you a list of results, it actually shows the structure of the back end of all the settings. It gives you context to know where you are in the settings. So there could be several settings maybe related to the term you've searched for. And instead of just showing you the two or three things, it actually says, oh, this one's in desktop behavior and this one's down in you know another section and so it gives you a clue as to where you're actually going for those settings and I think that's a really subtle but important change that I think will help people that maybe aren't as familiar with the settings panel there's a lot of refinements to things like notifications and some of the visual aspects the customization of the desktop now instead of having the small icon in the top right corner now it's you right click on the desktop and choose customize and then it opens up a custom mode, if you will, and unlocks your panels Okay, and keeps a little toolbar at the top so you can add widgets and customize workspaces and things. Like I said, it's iterative. There are little improvements, quality of life type things that I think make it a more usable desktop, sanding off or polishing off those, those rough edges. I wouldn't say there's any like supreme killer feature necessarily, but there's a lot that's gone into it. And if you follow the This Week in KDE blog posts that Nate makes, the other Nate. Uh, not me. Not you. The smart Nate, the one that actually knows how to do things. <laughs> <laughs> the volume of things they do in a week's time is actually pretty amazing if you follow that. I did a stream last week and went through some of those things and just basically went through the blog posts and was picking out different things that they had added or fixed. It's just incredible the volume of work that gets done in any given week's time. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 518. I don't know when that when that's going to drop on the uh in the open Sousa land, but uh but I'm looking forward to that for sure. So what have you been up to this week? I've not been doing as much this week because of, well, you know, life things. And uh, I did, though, play with Windscribe, 
per your unofficial recommendation. And I, I've been enjoying that. So anytime I've been, I've been out away from home and not at work, because I, I basically trust my employer, you know, I mean, I just do. And uh, so I, I have been using the VPN service, you know, when I'm in a public Wi-Fi. And I really appreciate how, how easy it is to use it. It's just a, like a, it's a service that's in the background. You just have to connect it, you know, whenever. And uh, the, they don't have a, a GUI right now, which, you know, but they, the terminal, I use like the, the, the Uquake terminal, drop-down terminal, which is, I think, uh, has been advised to be used by many people. And I really like it. And I just do, you know, uh, Windscribe connect and bang, you're connected. Well, maybe not bang, but I have to wait a little bit for the bang. A little bit of a flash, then a bang, right? And uh, so I've enjoyed that. I think it was really easy to use and set up. One of the other things I've been doing is the uh, taking down some of my notes that I've had about working with Contact and Akinati. Uh, so I put, my, I made like a little reference recently. I like Contact as my personal information manager, but there have been times in the past when it kind of hiccuped on me or maybe had an aneurysm. I'm not sure which. But anyway, I recorded my different little ways of getting it to pick back up and, co- and go. It only has trouble, it seems like, with Google services, not anything else. So there's a way to kind of kick it along if it, if it does get hung up. And it doesn't hasn't been a problem in a while, but rather than just keep the notes for myself, I decided to publish those. And uh, and also, I had a I had a, a tech fail. Oh no! So I got this uh, Solavolt variable power supply. It's an old adjustable power supply. It's got a really nice, big, chunky knob. It's made of some sort of thick gauge steel, and I just really liked it. You know, it's all it's all very old fashioned analog. And the problem is, it didn't have a DC output. So I opened it up, and I thought, oh man, it's really dusty in here. I'll blow it out. And then I saw a lot of like look like epoxy stuff fly out of it, and I thought, I hope that's not a problem. So I wired in a, a bridge rectifier, and, and so I could have like DC out, so adjustable DC out. And uh, as soon as I turned it back on, I let out the magic blue smoke. But it wasn't just a little smoke; it was a lot of smoke. And I do have it caught on video, so I'm I'm debating whether or not I should publish my stupidity on the on the World Wide Web's, or I could just talk about it here. <laughs> well, either way. <laughs> And it made like some buzzing sounds like old transformers do. And and the buzzing is, is literally the it, from what I understand is the the windings shaking. That's the buzzing you're hearing. And the buzz got really loud. So I, I don't know if maybe when I was blowing the dust out that maybe I blew some of the epoxy coating out that might have made it vibrate too much and then short out. I let the smoke out and I thought I'd try it again just because, you know, I'm an idiot. And I wasn't getting the voltage I wanted, so I, I know something is kaput on it now. But eh, you know, it was old, I got it for nothing and you know, basically I just wasted about three hours of my life on it. That's all. Well, if you like the case on it, is there something maybe you could do with the case? Very possible. It's incredibly heavy. I mean, I could probably just retrofit it with something else. I'm not going to just throw it out. I'll probably pull out the dead transformers and recycle those, but I'm not going to. It just the big chunky knob on the front of it is is worth uh worth its weight in gold. I think just because it's just so big and turny, very dark brownish. Looks like what something you'd use to control the giant amplifier, probably. There you go. Kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like it has a place in your your overall collection there, like it would belong. It would be a shame to to not have that aesthetic at least. To toss out the old. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing else. It's 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 a conversation piece. Why not? It is. It's just an incredibly heavy conversation piece. I mean, I'm no blade of grass that just bends over and uh and, and picking that thing up is a strain even for me, so I like it. That's all that matters. We have an announcement this week. The DLNX10 YouTube channel is being phased out in favor of the Destination Linux Network channel. They have many more subscribers. We had started building a subscriber base. We were just around 100 subscribers, and we're happy to post there, but the suggestion was made, well, how about let's 
try putting them on the DLN channel and see what happens. And within the first day and a half, there were 600 or some views. So I think it's in the long run for the best. So for anyone who's subscribed there, it would be great if you would come over, if you're not already subscribed to the DLN channel, I'll leave the link in the show notes and you'll be able to go there and look. All future episodes will be posted there. There'll be a transition period. I'll make a video and make an announcement on the channel itself in case you're not listening to this. Hopefully you are, but if you have any questions or comments or anything about that, just let me know. But I think ultimately it makes sense to sort of funnel all of the stuff into the DLN channel on YouTube. That way everything's in one place and it's easier to maintain. And overall, you get to see everything in one place instead of going to each individual one. We got some listener feedback on the discourse. Uh, George, or also known as Gok, is it like, like Gok is in the Klingon food? Do we know? I kind of hope it is. <laughs> he had some great feedback on our last show. Uh, his wife spent years working for HAL as an SAP interface architect, and they use SUSE. And that was in response to Noah saying, you know, why would somebody choose SUSE? I think of something along those lines. Well, uh, SUSE and SAP are like peas and carrots, because that's just if, if you're doing SAP... Uh, you are generally building it on top of SUSE. That's the area that SUSE seems to excel in the manufacturing business. So as long as there's manufacturing and SAP, you'll pretty much have SUSE. That's just the way it is. And they use ButterFS for their system. So it was nice to see somebody else chime in. So it wasn't just you know me shouting into room and having the eyeballs just look at me like I have a lobster growing out of my forehead. And there's there's actually some somebody else that sees what I see. So I felt pretty good about that. Sometimes we veer off into the weeds a little and we're never quite sure we're getting a little too off topic or just sort of out there. So it's good to see that people actually connect with with some of the things we talk about. And we should mention that this was on Discourse as well, that we got this feedback. Each week we post a thread for the show and that's your opportunity to discuss what we've brought up on the show. And if you have any thoughts or opinions, go check out Discourse at DestinationLinux.network and we will chat with you there. I prefer it to the YouTube chat or the YouTube comments myself. It's a nicer place to post things. <laughs> well, the big one for me is you can actually search and find things, right? I'll read right. something on the forum and weeks later think, oh, I wanted to try that. What was that? And I can go back and easily search it. I mean, YouTube makes it pretty much impossible to find any <laughs> any of the actual comments. So I feel like, you know, they're topical and it's great. And I'm not saying I don't appreciate commentary on the videos, but ultimately... It's kind of tied to that one thing and it sort of disappears or for lack of a better way to, to right. describe it. Yeah, it doesn't have the continued conversation, I guess, over over a period of time. And it's lost over after a while. Exactly. Also on Discourse this week, our DLN community segment was a post about which registrar to use. So this is a domain registrar. And if you're not familiar with that terminology, it's where you would go to register a domain. So if you had a great idea for a domain or a need for one, you're going to go to you know Namecheap or there's any number of uh, registers out there. There was just a great conversation around, you know, how do I do this? How does this work? Do I need dynamic DNS? There's a lot of great detail in there and also a lot of great suggestions about different registrars and, and what to use. 
one that came up that I had never really heard of. I, mean, I may have heard of it in passing, and I guess I just didn't think about it. I've been using Namecheap for a very long time, just simply because there's a large player in the market who I'm not actually going to name because I don't like them. and I don't want to give them any, any credibility. <laughs> I think everybody probably knows who I mean, but I had used them for years and I just was never a fan of their service. And so Namecheap at the time was the best alternative. And I've just been using them for probably the better part of a decade. Popey chimed in and said, oh, I use Gandhi.net. It sounded somewhat familiar, but I just hadn't looked at it, I guess, in a long time. So I went and took a look and it actually does look like a really nice service. You know, it's something that I'll consider looking at in the future, not necessarily because I'm unhappy with Namecheap, but because Namecheap does kind of do that. Hey, you're buying this. Why don't we try to sell you 15 other products? And here's all this other confusing stuff. And I think for people who don't know better, they maybe feel like they have to buy these things or they might want to, and they are less of an offender than the registrar that shall not be named, but it's still can be seen as a little over overwhelming and their UIs can, it's a little crowded and anyway, minor complaints because the service itself works really well. So Gandhi.net though, looks very simple and basically they have a no BS policy which I think is fantastic. Mm. And if you go and read the website, it's it's actually, they that's how they test every idea they have and interaction they have. It's, you know, no BS. Like it's, this is the service we offer. We're giving you the best service we can and no fluff and everything should just work. And I really respect that kind of messaging. And so I'm, I'm definitely interested in giving them a try. There was another discussion about a registrar that acts as a sort of a middleman where they register your domain for you. And it's kind of a proxy service where instead of your name being associated with the domain, it's actually this company. And then you can still do all of the things you need to do with the domains at your name servers and presumably DNS stuff and, and all that. But I just, I had a really hard time accepting the fact that a third party was in control of, the, of my domain. Now they say that, you know, Obviously, they are going to let you control the domain, and if you ever want to transfer it or anything like that, they will. But I've seen enough situations where I've had to help customers rescue their domain from either disgruntled web developers that they've worked with, or Joe, the tech support guy from 10 years ago, registered the domain, and no one knows where he is anymore, or no one knows how to log into the domain control panel. There is a real danger in letting a third party control your domain. And so I, I, I didn't want to belabor the point and argue with the person, but I just wanted to make sure that people understood when they were looking at these suggestions. You may want to think about that. Just something that sticks out to me, simply having gone through that experience as many times as I have, and, and in some cases, never being able to get the domain. What's the value in a third party registering a domain? Like, like what, what is the selling point? Why, why would I want that? What's, what's someone going to tell me that a third party sell, you know, purchaser of my domain is going to benefit me? So when you register a domain, ICANN, I-C-A-N-N, which is the governing body of the domain name service, they actually require that when a domain is registered, that there is a contact name, an address, a phone number, an email. So legitimate like contact information for a domain because there has to be a real person or business associated with a domain that's being purchased and used. Now, some people will falsify that. And the problem there is if they find that out, then they can actually take the domain away from you. You know, maybe this third party allows you to do something that's a little more nefarious that a normal registrar wouldn't let you get away with. 
This week on Linux for Everyone, Jason Evangelo had Manjaro's Philip Mueller on. He had an interview, and I thought it was a really interesting interview. He talked about the new hardware partnership he has with Tuxedo Computers, kind of went to the genesis of, of the relationship between them, and really encouraged people to get involved into Linux. What I thought was most interesting about the interview was never once did he push Manjaro. He didn't say get involved with Manjaro. He just said he'd get involved with Linux or with open source project. And I think that really it speaks to his character and what he cares about. So obviously he cares about Manjaro because that's, you know, it pays his bills now, but he wasn't pushing his product. He was pushing the philosophy. He was pushing the idea of being involved in you know the greater community wherever you are and i thought that was really awesome and and that really really says a lot about it about him it says a lot about what you know if, if that's how he runs his project it says a lot about his his core beliefs that really brought a smile to my face he definitely seems like one of those good stewards of the entire community and the entire development effort around Linux and open source. They've never been pushy about, hey, you, you should absolutely use Manjaro. You should absolutely, you know, it's the best one. Or they provide a solid distribution that a lot of people have appreciated and gravitated towards just naturally over the years. You know, his point about starting the, the corporate entity was, look, this project needs to survive. There's enough, there are enough users now that you know they're they're counting on this to to be there for them the project has to have some sort of backing so they've taken those steps to do that and that was definitely one side of it the other side of it as he mentioned and uh, is growth in other areas and one of the things that he had said was hardware and so it's fantastic to see them partnering with tuxedo computers who i believe i don't know do you know i think they work with other distributions as well if i'm not mistaken they do. They also work with OpenSUSE. You can buy an OpenSUSE machine from them as well. And the new Kubuntu Focus laptop is is by Tuxedo Computers as well. So, but I know of at least those. I'm sure they're. I'm sure their site has more information. Well, that's not trivial, right? No, it's giving a home for these distributions to have a custom piece of hardware. And, and Philip said that a big part of what they're doing—it's not just slapping their sticker on a computer and installing the distro and calling it a day. They're actually looking at optimization, making sure that it runs as well as it can, that battery life is good, graphics all work—you know—that that everything is supported. And now they're committing to that as well. So if you buy this device, you're going to be assured to have a good experience with Manjaro on that device. And I would assume the same will be true of Kubuntu and of the OpenSUSE versions of this. So to me, it's a very interesting thing to see that there is some strength around this and not just with Tuxedo, but with other manufacturers as well that are not top tier or, you know, the mega manufacturers of the world, but there is a market for their products. They're collaborating directly with the people building the software and putting out these really solid products that every time I see one, I think, well, you know, that must be a really great experience to use that device. Because here I am fighting with a Dell that was never intended to run Linux. And I'm reminded of that on a regular basis, because often there are <laughs> things that it has a fingerprint reader that I can't use because the company behind it will not release a Linux driver, even though they have one for Android. I mean, I know that's not exactly the same, but it should. there should be some correlation there, some ability to, to port that. I just don't think they're interested. I love seeing problem solving on a smaller scale by these companies and this sort of synergy between the developers of the software and the developers of the hardware and those things coming together. It's good to have these choices. For all the talk of declining PC sales, 
that's absolutely still the case for the greater majority of the public. But I think for people who actually need to do work on a computer, the fact that there are now good choices or better choices than there have ever been, it's very encouraging to see that. I think that there has been an uptick recently in computer sales. Like, like the, some statistic came out in 2019, there's been an increase in computer sales. I heard that and I think someone had said because it was people were finally upgrading to Windows 10, a lot of businesses would, had put it off forever. I haven't been interested in beating this drum, but for everyone to just say, oh, well, all you have to do when Windows 7's end of life is just upgrade to Windows 10. I had a Windows 7 system that will not run Windows 10. The drivers aren't there and the manufacturer doesn't have drivers for it. And they've said, we're not going to provide them. It's an old system. It's now going to be a useless device from a Windows standpoint. So this fallacy that every computer that runs Windows 7 somehow can now magically be running Windows 10, that's absolutely not true. You know, I'm looking at the numbers here, this uh, Statista. Sales have gone, they peaked at just shot of, of what, um, about 90 million. So now we're hovering at about 70 million. I mean, it's still 70 million computers. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, not like it's going away. <laughs> but businesses look at decline as death, right? If there isn't steady, continuous growth. But you can't always have steady, continuous growth. That doesn't mean it's death. It's a myopic corporation look at things. I mean, basically, we're still at numbers greater than we were 2009, or like first quarter 2009. Absolutely. But that's where the opportunity comes for these smaller manufacturers. There are, are people looking for options. And it's like I said with the, when we get to the AMD section, you know, I tried hard to find a decent AMD system and there just weren't any. Right. If it had been from even a, a smaller manufacturer, I would have been fine with that. To be fair, it was over, you know, almost a year ago. So now hopefully there are some better options, but still they are the ones that can respond more quickly than Dell or HP or Lenovo right. or any of them who aren't going because of their decline and their, their corporate mentality, aren't going to go after those adjacent markets. The new emerging markets or whatever. Exactly. They're not going to fulfill the, the demand of a small contingent, small to them contingent of people. But if a tuxedo computers can sell 10,000 units a year, that's a good year, right? Right. For sure. This week on Destination Linux, the topic of ZFS in the kernel came up, and specifically Linus's response to a question that was posed about why isn't there mainstream support for ZFS in the Linux kernel? So I read the the actual mail posting that he did. What's that called? The mailing list? I read the mailing list uh, response from him. So someone wanted to know uh, why a kernel change broke a third, the third-party module of ZFS. And in a nutshell, uh, the what Linus says that he that he cannot be bound by other people's kernel changes, essentially. And there's no, there's no way he can manage any of the ZFS efforts until he has an official letter from Oracle that is signed by their legal counsel, or preferably Larry Ellison himself, that says, yes, it is okay, and treat the end result as GPL'd. And I totally understand his point, because he wants to make sure that the code is GPL v2 clean. And so some people think it is okay to merge ZFS code into the kernel and that the module interface makes it okay and that's their decision but considering Oracle's litigious nature and the questions over licensing there's no way that Linus can feel safe ever doing so. And I think that that's a pretty safe statement. I mean, maybe not. Uh, I, mean, I understand why he'd want a letter or something that says this is okay. So his fanny is covered, so to speak. He also says he's not interested in a ZFS shim layer that would somehow isolate it. He doesn't want to get the kernel caught up in any legal suit like Oracle's inner lawsuit over Java. So he says, don't use ZFS. 
It's that simple. And this is where people, I think, kind of come unglued in the community. He says, uh, uh, essentially, that he sees no, there's no real maintenance behind it. And I think that he was talking about the ZFS proper, not open ZFS there. He says the benchmarks don't make ZFS look that great. And I think that's that's where some people kind of come and glued on it. I mean, like I read an article in Ars Technica and there's some others in the out there too that says basically Linus is wrong. And sure, that could be it. You know, a lot of people really like ZFS or ZFS, you know, if, you, if you're so inclined. And I tend to fall on the side of what Linus says here because I don't wouldn't want to get wrapped up in any legal proceedings. Oracle has, has been anything but a stellar open source contributor with what they did with OpenOffice. So now we have LibreOffice because of, of their ways. So yeah, I, I would, you know, regardless what the performance is, I mean, I got it. I understand. I, I just don't think if someone else wants to maintain a module or build a module, sure, fine, whatever. But but don't put it on the on the kernel team to try and solve those problems. Greg KH, he also spoke negatively of ZFS probably about a year ago or so with the same the same sort of thing. So, you know, the kernel team obviously feels very strongly about this. Maybe this will this is enough to kind of push somebody at Oracle to to do something to change something uh, concerning it. I really don't know. I'm not a uh, I'm not a file system expert. I'm perfectly happy with ButterFS. Uh, works great for me at this point. I don't really care if ZFS is included or not. I think there's a lot of interest in the snapshotting that improves the desktop experience, perhaps with you know system snapshots, but then also recovery snapshots and just being able to use the utility of a file system like that. I understand the snapshot and the backups, but we already have that with ButterFS. There's no legal questions around ButterFS, and it does work. And it's being used in server environments, in SAP, in manufacturing, and that's, those are pretty demanding environments. This week marks the first episode of Hardware Addicts, and it was jam-packed full of information. One of the things they covered was CES 2020, and of course, they talked about Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting was AMD and their mobile processor announcements, where it's 7 nanometer architecture, 8-core, 16 threads, 4.2 gigahertz boost, 15-watt TDP. So obviously in a mobile device, these are all amazing features to see. I know when I was looking at laptops about a year ago, I was really hoping to find a good AMD solution. And I just, I had a really, really hard time finding many candidates at all. And then of those candidates, they're really, it was either pretty low end systems that weren't going to fit my needs, or they were crazy overblown gaming systems, which were also not going to fit my need. And I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm looking for a system that is powerful enough to let me do you know, some basic stuff on a GPU where I, I'd like to have some 3D acceleration, but it doesn't have to be powerful enough to run, you know, AAA game titles. But I also don't just want a integrated chip that doesn't let me do those things. So I want some sort of power there. And of course, I want a good CPU, a powerful CPU, because a lot of the performance depends on that. So to see these announcements, it's giving me a lot of hope that in the near future, we're going to see more and more options. I would like to see AMD build a machine or have uh, some of these manufacturers build a machine that's AMD through and through and and really you know upset the status quo as far as you know the the Intel cornering of that market. And I don't even need anything that's really very big either. I don't know or very powerful like you. I don't need a AAA game player at, to you know enjoy a machine. You know if I can play my older games or the games that I think are fun, you know on the road or something like that. That's really all I need. And 
you know, as cool as Threadripper with uh, 64 cores or 128 threads, whatever. I'm just not interested in such high-end machines. I would, I don't see anywhere in the future how I could possibly utilize that kind of processing power. But something that is good with power usage gives me the performance I need, decent graphical performance. I would be in the market for something like that for sure. The things you're doing with CAD, though, I mean, a lot of that software is expecting some sort of GPU performance, I assume. It is. And and you do need something. You don't need a real powerful system to do that unless you're doing some massive renderings or some massive assemblies. I mean, a fourth generation Haswell system can do CAD very nicely. And what I mean by nicely is, I mean, it's it's smooth. It's It does the processing pretty quick. Now, when it goes through and has to regenerate stuff, yeah, that's when you need the power. But for most work, I haven't come across a point where I need a lot of power. And, and when you have machine or there's more powerful machines. Yeah, sure, it's it's better, but but a lot of the processes are single thread anyway. And a lot of times these newer processors don't actually have better single thread processing power. Over the last five years, I've not seen any massive performances. No, I mean, I would like some performances there increase, but but as far as, you know, that's a good time to go get a cup of coffee and, you know, and check your email. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's going to take the time it takes. And I think some of the benchmarking, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. High-end hardware is a niche market. I mean, it's it's kind of a funny thing whenever you see benchmarks. I know when I was building the 2700X Ryzen system, the new chips were out. And I was really on the fence of like, should I pay the extra money and just get the newer chips? But, you know, you look at benchmarks and it's like, but it's 10% faster. And you think, okay, in real world terms, if I'm rendering a video, if I'm, there's some something compiling, you know, how much difference is that really going to make to me for the money that I need to spend to get that extra 10%? And this goes across other products and things as well. I mean, if, are you happy with a car that'll go 90 miles an hour or do you need one that goes 130 miles an hour? I mean, you're never going to go 130 miles an hour, but right. hey, just in case, it's that type of mentality that I, I just don't really subscribe to it. And I know a lot of people do because they are doing gaming. And you mentioned a Threadripper with 64 cores. I personally have no need for that, but certainly if I was doing a, if I needed a high end, like super powerful workstation, the fact that they can make these processors is really, I think that's what they're showing with their architecture. They're able to just stuff more cores on these chips. And really, I mean, they're just demonstrating that, you know, how many people are going to buy a 64 core system? I don't know what the market for that is, but it's impressive that they continue to do that and to continue to show that the work that they've put in over the years to get to this point is paying off. And to see that spilling over in, into the laptop side of things, that's really impressive. And I know stuffing more performance into ever smaller devices because people want slim and thin and light. They don't want to lug a heavy laptop and they want hours and hours of battery life and the best screens and they want all this performance and all these things. When you stuff these chips in there, I mean, this Dell I have is really pretty much right on the edge. It's an i7 and it's, you know, six core, 12 thread. It gets into the 90s when it's stressing, but it stays just cool enough to not throttle. And they kind of got the balance just right. But I can imagine with the seven nanometer architecture, 15 watt TDP, eight core, 16 threads, you could fit that in a very small device. And when you're not using all that power, it's going to be very efficient in terms of battery life. So that's to me what's exciting because it is that middle ground. It's excellent performance, you know, very good CPU performance. They'll be able to put a decent dedicated GPU in there in a chassis that has the right weight, the right thickness. It's, it's a comfortable device, 
it's really just sort of unlocking that next level of performance. And again, it's an AMD alternative where there just really didn't seem to be one. I'm very encouraged by that, hopefully in the near future. Now, they did announce that they have new partners to bring the laptops to market. They mentioned Asus, Dell, and Lenovo, to name a few. And so it looks like manufacturers have been waiting for a better solution from AMD, and this might be it. And we might actually start seeing these systems. I think the real story here is I wonder how that is going to compare like performance per watt power usage. I wonder how that's going to compare to equivalent ARM-based devices. Like I'm I'm willing to bet this is treading in on ARM's power sipping capabilities here. And that to me is the exciting piece because people are, are screaming for ARM devices, but this, this actually might trump a lot of that. Well, the thing that's not true now for ARM So they have excellent battery life and reasonable performance, but you can't get to almost desktop level performance like we're seeing here. What I'm hoping, again, with this seven nanometer architecture, 15 watt TDP, is that when you're not stressing it, that it's just scaling down and it's not using much power because it doesn't need to. If I'm just looking at email or doing simple things, the system shouldn't need to be running full bore and sucking up power and producing a bunch of heat. So hopefully there's optimization in these systems that lets them run, like you're saying, essentially like a very low power device. But when I need the power, it's there and I can fire something up and it can grab those threads and throttle up and do its thing. Well, we'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. More info, if you'd like to find out more about us, you know, the the cool cats of the DLN Extend, uh, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and my YouTube channel is there. And I am on DLN Discourse most of the time, if you're looking for me or on Telegram. You can find all this information, including my YouTube channel at destinationlinux.network under the creators section. You'll see me there. You'll see Nate and all the other DLN creators. If you click in on any of them, there's a section there with all of our social contact information, and we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. See us.